serious CBD. The best CBD products on the planet. Over 100 five-star reviews. Can verify authentication. Gold in full spectrum. Full panel lab tested. What is full panel lab testing? Cannabinoids and terpenes. Pesticides. Mycotoxins. Solvents. Heavy metals. Microbials. Foreign matter. Get serious. Serious CBD. It's time to resist. They can't arrest us all. And they can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no. Not again. The only way to stop these mandates is to refuse to comply. Refuse to show vaccine passports. Refuse to wear a mask. Refuse to stay at home. We will not comply with Fauci. We will not comply with Joe Biden. And we will not comply with authoritarian governors. I am not going to comply. This ends now. Broadcasting live and live to Patriot Control of America. You're listening to the Patriot Party Podcast. Now on the show, the chair is against the wall. The muskrat jumps over the berm. I know why you're here, Neil. I know what you've been doing. I know why you hardly sleep. Why you live alone and why night after night you sit at your computer. You're looking for him. I know because I was once looking for the same thing. And when he found me, he told me I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for an answer. It's the question that drives us, Neo. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question, just as I did.
Breaking the veil of the real conspirators. Mm. I would say the real Reich, but okay, you want to mm -hmm. say conspirators, that's fine too. I'll, I'll abide for that. She was evacuated. My grandmother, she was evacuated to Pashtent during the war, Carpathian Mountains. And there's a very tragic story there because when the Germans, the Machshemein, launched Operation Barbarossa and they were approaching Kiev. So people were evacuating and escaping. By then they knew what they were doing to Jews. And um, so my grandmother's family consisted of her parents and a brother and a maternal grandmother. And in one of those like fateful choices, like Sophie's choice, almost, if you know that story. Uh, my, the maternal grandmother was very old and frail and couldn't travel. So her daughter, my, my great-grandmother, her daughter, my grandmother's mother, decided to stay to take care of her mother and my grandmother's brother as well stayed with his mother. Whereas my grandmother and her father, whom I'm named after, uh, were evacuated to Tashkent. So those that actually stayed were, were murdered in Babiyar. Um, initially they were shooting them and then why waste bullets? They were um, bulldozed alive, buried alive in a pit. I, actually, a few years ago, I went to visit it. And there's a monument there. And I have the original pictures of, you see the corpses in the pit. Now, of course, what you see is like it's, it's, it's grass and grown. 
but you still see the contour, the same shape of the pit, exactly. Not as deep. The ground is screaming with the blood of the incident. My mother's father was from a small shtetl not too far from Kiev, and he had witnessed his entire town massacred. He, he escaped, he was young, and spent the entire war as a partisan. The SS had these uh, groups that would come and clean up. I, I guess initially the Wehrmacht, it was, I think, uh, Group C was responsible for Barbarossa. The Wehrmacht would come through, the German regular army, um, do their military part, and then the SS uh, killing squad would come in after that and clean up uh, clean up the Jews. And, and the worst thing is, I'll be very, very blunt, the Ukrainians taught the Nazis how to kill the Russian Jews. That is a very important point. So now when I hear all these, uh, this war, uh, Ukraine and Russia, and everyone's pro-Ukraine and they have the Azov battalion, which half of them are uh, Nazis, if not more, are uh, literally castrating Russian soldiers. Population that at a drop of I had to jump at an opportunity to do this again to my people. I have no doubt. I was there, I saw the hatred in their eyes. So my grandfather, he was a real seasoned soldier. Uh, partisan, malicious, sabotage. I'm proud to say that he uh, a very, very large Viking of Nazis and Germans. And so did my I grew up in this type of um, post-war family whose my grandfather survived because they were at war. I have to tell you, I forgot to mention, Isaac, my grandfather, was one of 13 children. Came from a religious family. He and another sister were the only ones that survived out of those 13. And he survived because he was at the front. Because, uh, as you know, I've been thrust into a, a, a role of confronting really the essence of evil, looking into the eye of the serpent, the metaphysical, metaphorical, let's say, serpent. If you, if you sum total all these degenerates that are doing this, uh, they'll approximate what, what that serpent is. It, it's a concept, it's not any particular person. And I want to decapitate that serpent. I will decapitate that serpent, even if I have to, I have to die. So that, those characteristics and those traits, I think, were given over to me by my grandparents and their ex collective experiences. My name is Isis. Uh, I'm a songwriter. Israeli-Hungarian. I grew up in Israel and now I'm uh, living in Portugal. And um, actually I'm here to talk about my grandmother. My grandma, her name is Miriam Nierenstein. Uh, she was born in Lithuania in 1924 and died in 2002. 
I had a special connection to my grandmother. Actually, this was the best memories of my life when um, I would go and spend a few days with her, uh, with her, with her friends, with her neighbors, and so on. They were all Holocaust survivors. And actually, I really miss these people, Vera, to be honest, because, um, you know, these people, they were broken by the, by the war. That made them, I mean, this is the negative side and the positive side, it made them very humble and very giving and very loving. You could say anything to them, you could talk to them about anything. They never judged you. You know, they didn't have their nose up, okay? You know that the Holocaust survivors rarely talked to their children, direct children about it. But by the time she spoke to me, I think it was the late 70s, early 80s, I asked her, why is she, why are you, grandma, why are you telling me all this? Yeah. And she had two answers to that. First of all, she said that she really has a need to, you know, unload what's on her heart, that she never spoke to anybody about this. She never spoke to my mother about this. I'm the only one that she ever did this with. And number two is that is for me to promise to her that if ever comes the, the, the situation where something like that can happen again, that I will do whatever it takes not to let it happen again. Because you know, Vera, that these people, they couldn't heal. They couldn't fix what happened to them. There was no way to heal it. And they said it. There is no healing. They said it. But what they really wanted was for it not to happen again to others. And this is not, this is a fake, this is not the fake I'm compassionate. This is the deep compassion that comes from pain. That you've been in so much pain and you just don't want others to have that kind of pain. So she asked me, she, that's what she told me about this. She wanted me to know and to understand not only what happened, Vera, but how, how it happened. You know, people use a lot of labels, like they said the Nazis were monsters, for example, yeah? And my grandma also said it, but she said, but they didn't just became monsters. They were not born monsters. The process was gradual. Day to day, people had their personal process being challenged by life. And as the situation became worse and worse, people had to make worse and worse decisions. They became monsters. They didn't start monsters. And you know, when you look at pictures from, like even uh, Ghetto Shavli, where my grandmother started, when you look at pictures for, like from 1941, you see the soldiers quite relaxed, you know, not even wearing their weapons, and even the inmates waving to the camera and smiling and so on. And you ask yourself, how could this be that you see this kind of like okay pictures? Well, because it wasn't that bad. It progressed. It went. And also, one more thing I want, I want to tell you that she told me. Very interesting because it's relevant for today. One of the questions I kept asking my grandma again and again, Grandma, why did you cooperate? Why did all of you cooperate? Sometimes, most of the time, it was 50 or 100 guards on thousands of people. What's the problem? 
and here's the interesting answer, and I don't know if many people know that, but the Nazis never presented themselves as negative, destructive people. They, they presented themselves as people who, as a, as, as, as a party who is trying actually to make things better. And that's what they told people. So when you were taken to a ghetto, it was for your own protection. When you were taken to a camp, you were told, ah, we have work for you there and food and shelter. It was always about, no, we're actually helping you. We want to help you. So all these Jews that went on the trains, nobody maybe, not many people know this. They got a nice propaganda from the people convincing them that this is good for them. And this went on up to the very end. Only in the very end did the Nazis lose this and became really unbearable, uh, 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 really openly sadistic, okay? But until that point, I mean, I'll tell you one story that my grandmother told me, also very interesting. I never, never read about this. Did you know, I don't remember which camp that was because she's been to many camps. She's been to like six or seven work concentration and death camps because you know that from 1943 when they closed the ghettos uh, the nazis decided that the jews should be used as labor first and foremost before they killed them my grandmother was still young relatively healthy and she was like taken between 10 or 12 stations uh, to work for work purposes so she passed, she's seen everything. She's been through Poland, Germany, I think even in Czechoslovakia. She was taken all over the place. The Nazis did everything they can to appear that they want to keep the peace. They want to keep the order. They don't want to hurt anybody. They're, they're just doing their best. I think that we need to clarify that the mindset of Nazis is not limited or restricted to Germans. The mindset is guided by eugenics, which is an elitist hierarchical ideology that divides humanity into segments inferior and superior. The Nazis called it Übermenschen and Untermenschen. The truth is that this has infected, eugenics has infected and continues to infect many societies, including so-called democracies. There are individuals who hold this kind of ideology, really like a religion. They regard some human beings as inferior and therefore expendable. They establish policies that do just that. Wars is one of the examples. The elite children don't participate. Just as 
it is not unique to Germany. In fact, eugenics was really promoted, it was first put together as an ideology, as a philosophy by the British, but it was really, really given a push by the robber barons in the United States. Germany imported the eugenics agenda and the how-to, the practical way, from the United States. It is an extraordinary evil ideology. It looks at human beings as flies, as specks. And at this point, they want to transform the human species into transhumanists, partly robot technology and partly blood and sweat, but really something that they can control totally. You've got biotechnology and surveillance technology, and when the two get together, that's lethal. That leads to genocide. It's hard to hold on to the fiction that the pandemic was not planned because the United States government was paying millions and millions of dollars, which were um, delegated really by Anthony Fauci to laboratories that were doing illegal bio warfare research under the euphemism gain of function. Gain-of-function research is bio-warfare research. It is illegal by international law, but it's not being abided by. The evidence from the Wuhan lab in China is sufficient by now, totally sufficient, to show that it emanated from there within the context of gain-of-function research. So yes, it was in the planning stage for a long time, and then it happened. The two go together. <laughs> it, you can't logically say that you're working on plans for it and then it happens that you didn't have anything to do with it. No, that, that's impossible. Bill Gates, in some ways, is an open book. He is an absolute eugenicist. It's in the family, his father, his grandfather, they were all eugenicists. And People should be bothered by the fact that Bill Gates talks about we, we, in other words, he assumes the mantle of an authority and one who has standing in the medical public health field. But at the same time, he's kind of admitting that he's involved in the decision making. We didn't do quite what we had wanted. This is how he speaks, you know, the we. Who elected him? Who is he accountable to? He was, for a while, as head of Microsoft, the most hated corporate head of anybody. And then he suddenly switched roles and became the philanthropist. Well, foundations that these oligarchs formed are tax-shielding ways of having a say in areas that they shouldn't have a say because they affect the public interest.
And that's the public is supposed to decide what they want and elect those officials who will do their bidding. It's we who are supposed to be in charge to decide which policies we want. Not somebody like Bill Gates, who has a huge financial interest in everything that he so-called donates to. In 2015, Bill Gates, in a TED lecture, you can just Google it, said that the biggest threat to humanity is global warming. Therefore, we need to reduce carbon emissions. Therefore, we need to reduce the world population by 10 to 15 percent. How? Through the use of vaccines. Let's, let's take a look. Uh, first, we've got population. Now, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. This is a matter of record. Those are his words. In 2020, Bill Gates said, again, it's on video, 7 billion people need to be vaccinated. And the thing that will get us back to the world that we had before coronavirus is the vaccine and getting that out to all 7 billion people. And we'll need to fund about 10, the 10 most promising constructs because we won't know in advance which one will prove to be safe and effective. And being effective for older people whose immune system is weak is a huge challenge. If you really amp up the vaccine to do that, then you can run into safety issues. The people like myself and Tony Fauci are saying 18 months. If everything went perfectly, we could do slightly better than that. But there will be a trade-off. We'll have less safety testing than we typically would have. And so governments will have to decide, you know, do they indemnify the companies and really say, let's, let's go out with this uh, when it's, we just don't have the time to do what we normally do. Uh, the rhetorical question is, why would I take a vaccine for my health if someone is financing and advocating for the reduction of the world population? In 2016, Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, gave an interview, we have it, and said something incredibly strange. That within 10 years, by 2026, every human being will be tagged with a digital identifier. Aujourd'hui, au bout de ça, on parle de puce qu'on pourra s'implanter. Ce sera quand ça? Certainement dans les 10 années à venir. Et d'abord, on va les implanter dans nos vêtements, uh -huh. c'est-à-dire wearables, comme on le dit. Et après, on pourrait s'imaginer qu'on les implante dans nos cerveaux ou dans nos topos. Et à la fin, peut-être il y a une communication directe entre notre cerveau et euh, la, le monde digital. Ce que nous voyons, c'est une sorte de fusion du monde physique, digital et biologique. Uh, no one understood what that actually meant. First of all, why? Second, how do you get 7 billion people to do anything willingly? We'll leave that question for now. Do you know how bad it is? I could take someone to a morgue and rub their faces on the corpses of young people that have died from taking this vaccine and they will still not come to the to a reasonable conclusion. 
so I just want to finish this. So there was academic malfeasance. There was media complicity. Politicians then took all this false narrative and propaganda and issued policies of absolute tyranny and totalitarian totalitarian tyranny. And then industry was there to pounce. So who has the muscle, the power, the influence, the stakeholders in all those different sectors to be able to coordinate them in a way to pull this off? Because there is a common denominator and if people really look, they'll find out that 70% of the world's corporate wealth is managed by two companies, BlackRock and Vanguard. And they're a monopoly because they invest in each other it's called through circular investment. So um, they have, in other words, let me simplify it. They own Pepsi, they own Coke. They own CNN, they own Fox, you get it? Um, and through endowments, they control media and academia and they are the industry so i challenge people to break the veil the corporate veil of the vanguard blackrock monopoly and you'll get close or to the real conspirators joseph mengele that we all talk about as the big monster well my grandmother crossed paths with him twice in the camps because he was in charge of the selection process. So he came to train guards about selection. So my grandmother went through many selections. You can imagine in every selection, you can, you can end up dead. And every time she was chosen to work, to work. So twice she passed by the table when Mengele was behind instructing, you know, he was came to show them, you know, this person I want to take to the experiment and this person for work and this person. So twice she passed by the, by him and twice she, he sent her to work. And I asked him, asked her about him. How, how was he? Well, he was quite boring, actually. He was a cold, calculated, gray person, very, uh, uh, you could say very scientific. Yeah, he saw himself as a scientist and you couldn't tell when you saw him, you couldn't tell that he's this big monster that we all talk about. And I think this is a lesson for today, Vera, because you have all these experts and all these scientists and all these people in suits that appear totally correct and, and uh, in a way neutral. The word is neutral and, and she described him as neutral. He didn't show any feelings whatsoever. That's what you see, but behind it is something else. I mean, she went through all of, all of everything that you can imagine, including an attempt to take her on the, on these cold, uh, ice cold, uh, death marches at the end of the war, she received a death injection in really in the last weeks of the, of the war. She received one of these uh, poison injections, 
but in the last few months and weeks of the war, the Nazis were out of resources. So they didn't have enough guards for the death march, so they had to cancel it, take back the prisoners, and they didn't have enough poison, so they had to split it between 50 different people. And so she survived that. She survived death many times. I am Ina Maria Raschen, and I, I was born in Hildesheim, it's uh, West Germany, near Hanover. And I'm the second daughter of seven children. Uh, my father, uh, Günther, Dr. Jure Günther Raschen, an advocate, and my mother, um, a kindergarten teacher, Maria, called. Yes, I'm 80 years old. I was born um, uh, in the 1942, and I'm here in um, Fürstenberg. I'm a pen pensioner. In January, I, I saw a woman in Berlin. Uh, she was on a demonstration and she told um, the audience um, that she met um, you. Um, you should have talked in Brussels. Um, and then the police came and this uh, really um, went to my heart. And I did the research, who is this? Um, survivor, you know, because I'm living here next to the Ravensbrück. Mm -hmm. It's um, uh, uh, the concentra ex-concentration camp for all the European women. Uh, I'm against vaccination and now in this city uh, people are very, not very open. And um, it was also during uh, the Nazi time time uh, when we had Ravensbrück they 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 were not direct they they didn't say their opinion you, you know and it's just now today too and so they are very astonished because I tell everybody you know I'm very open and um, and they notice that I'm still um, alive, you know, and I'm still riding my bicycle. And here in Eastern Germany, they are still aware of things. They remember their dictatorship. My father um, was against Hitler. He read um, my Kampf already uh, 33, and he knew it's going to come uh, in Germany. And he was very, a very sensitive man, and he um, went undercover. And um, and my mother actually, um, she was a very tough woman. She typed at night uh, the books my father wrote. My father was uh, the head of the state youth office. He had the Jewish family to escape to Argentine. My parents, they always kept in touch with um, this family. One of my brothers, he went to Argentina to visit this family also, yes. I suffered very much from these pictures um, my father showed uh, us while having um, 
lunch and uh, it was so uh, so terrible i didn't want to know about uh, the holocaust i didn't want to know about uh, this terrible uh, thing and all these nightmares and what i had uh, this bombing in my head you know from the war uh, braunschweig where i lived you know all these low flying uh, air uh, low-flying military aircraft and bombing yeah. and um, you know this uh, um, this was all and these these night dreams no? mm -hmm. you know I really think I had my depression because I I had this war um, um, bombing and and things but also because of the photos you you must not show photos to children that are so full of cruelty i mean it's it's, it's a shock you know like if they have have um, been there i went to the ravensbrück and i said to my my friend she she is a professor at the humboldt university and she was the head of the ravensbrück till um to uh, to 12. i said you must not get children that are too young to ravensbrück you know it's 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 terrible for them they are not they have not this emotional system and this um, stability in heart to watch it, you know. So all my life I didn't, you know, I made it like I talked to uh, survivors. They, they just put it away. They cannot, they don't talk about it for years. No? We human beings, how can we be like this, you know, when you ask yourself, I mean, you are more cruel than any animal, you know, it's so terrible. I am a pacifist because these times you cannot be for arms. I mean, we have atomic bombs, we have uh, digital, we have all these um, things we never had before. I mean, we, we are not in the middle age. They behave like middle-aged people. I'm a pacifist anyhow. Uh, I'm against arms. So we have to find other yes. ways what to do. I cannot close my mouth and sit down and say I do nothing. I have to say it. The Germans, they are so... I cannot hear it anymore. They didn't learn anything. And now the truth is coming up. It, it is hard to take. It is hard um, to digest, but it is necessary that the truth comes up so to make a better life, you know. So the healing has started. Fight for the truth and we stay positive. The evil of World War II, which was crystallized in the depravity of Nazi slaughter was rooted in a concept of uh, eugenics. It was rooted in the concept of hierarchy in, human, in humanity. There was the Ubermensch, the Mensch, and the Untermensch. Superhuman, human, and subhuman. Uh, why were the Nazis superhumans? Because they were descendants of some type of Aryan gods. Who were the humans? They were the Anglo-Saxons. Those were meant to be enslaved to serve the the higher the superhuman and the subhumans which you and me belong to 
and uh, Slavs and uh, gypsies and handicapped people and political prisoners were meant to be vaporized. Now, it didn't work out the way they wanted, although they got at least six million men out of us. But the concept um, didn't go away, went dormant for a few decades, and now it's resurfaced. But to be honest, it's not anti-Semitic this time. I don't believe, in, in reality, many of the perpetrators are Jews. Um, it's not anti-Semitic, it's something else. It's demonic. It's uh, like this, the distillation product of evil. And what, what its intention is, is also there's the superhuman class, which are the self-anointed, um, let's say, evolved in higher levels of consciousness people. They believe so. I, I don't think there's anything evolved by them. The new world order is not a, some evolution in humanity. It's, it's a devolution back to paganism and idolatry and child sacrifice. There's nothing new here. They just use a cool branding method to, to make it look new age, new world order. They're returning to the, the, the paganism of yesteryear. And so it's just resurfaced now where with these degenerates, I'm running out of adjectives to call them at this point, but um, have revealed themselves and are, are ready to uh, pounce. And the, one of the, let's say, prophets or theological uh, inspiration is a Jew. His name is Yuval Noah Harari. Now, he's a short little guy, uh, but um, he's a bad boy, and I'll tell you why. Uh, he, uh, he's called the prophet by Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, and Obama praised him as his favorite author in an interview on CNN. So this guy has the ears of the most powerful degenerates on the planet. And what does he say? And I'm going I'm to say to you verbatim what he's preaching, prophet to prophet. Uh, humans are hackable animals. If you can hack an animal, you could engineer it with intelligent design, but not some divine intelligent design, but by human intelligent design, for we are now gods. Um, there's no such thing as free will. There's no such thing as a soul. And COVID-19 is my favorite. COVID-19 mark a inflection point in history when digital 24-7 surveillance went under the skin. This is their stated agenda. It's not mine. Hitler wrote Mein Kampf many years before he took power. The essence of evil is something very interesting. It doesn't hide its intentions. It says it outright. People just don't listen. When everybody has to wear a biometric bracelet which constantly monitors your blood pressure, your heart rate, your brain activity, 24 hours a day. You listen to a speech on the radio by the great leader, and they know what you actually feel. You can clap your hands and smile, but if you're angry, they know you'll be in the gulag tomorrow morning. The creation of a global useless class to the rise of data colonialism 
and of digital dictatorships. Suppose you're a 50 years old truck driver and you just lost your job. In the 21st century, the really big struggle will be against irrelevance. And it's much worse to be irrelevant than to be exploited. Those who fail in the struggle against irrelevance would constitute a new useless class, useless from the viewpoint of the economic and political system. And this useless class will be separated by an ever-growing gap from the ever more powerful elite. And what will happen to politics in your country when somebody in San Francisco or in Beijing knows the entire medical and personal history of every politician, every judge, and every journalist in your country, including all their sexual escapades, all their mental weaknesses, and all their corrupt dealings. Will it still be an independent country? Or will it become a data colony? When you have enough data, you don't need to send soldiers in order to control a country. Many tyrants and governments wanted to do it, but nobody understood biology well enough. And nobody had enough computing power and data to hack millions of people. Neither the Gestapo nor the KGB could do it. But soon, at least some corporations and governments will be able to systematically hack all the people. We are no longer mysterious souls. We are now hackable animals. That's what we are. If this power falls into the hands of a 21st century Stalin, the result will be the worst totalitarian regime in human history. And we already have a number of applicants for the job of 21st century Stalin. Global problems that demand global solutions. Good nationalists must be also globalists. We have built the rule-based liberal global order, but I very much hope that we can rely on the leaders assembled here and not on the rights. Thank you. I see right now in this absolute new Holocaust that's trying to happen right now, um, a lot of Israelis and a lot of Jews participating happily. For example, this guy from the economic forum, this uh, Yuval Harari, this guy that tells us that we are hackable animals. This Yuval, he's probably the same age as me. He maybe uh, went to school close to me or something like that in the class next to me or something like that. He looks familiar. Mm. And I want to ask him, who the heck do you think you are? <laughs> what are you doing? You are an Israeli and you are disgracing the memory of my grandma and what she had to go through. When I see that, we have the answer, of course, that to the same question that my grandmother asked a long time ago. 
And the answer is, of course, they were complicit. There were factors in the U.S. and in Israel that were complicit in this crime for what's happening in Israel right now. I'm beginning to doubt that this is the true Israeli state, actually. Uh, what is that exactly? There's another experimental lab there going on. You don't stop a fascist takeover unless you help other people. You have to help, not just yourself. When there's a fascist takeover, the whole idea is to isolate people completely. That they think that they're isolated dots. And now it's happening with the virtual technology. It's very easy to do that. And then you are made to focus only on yourself and kind of like try to sneak in, try to get your way through the crisis. And maybe five, six years from now, you'll be okay. And this idea to kind of manage with this crisis, this is coming from above. They are teaching you this, the same people doing it. They want you to think like that. The people that survived in World War II, like yourself, survived because a person, another person dared to help, risked their life. And without this empathy to another person, without this, the courage, I call it, the courage to help, without that, you cannot stop a fascist takeover. That moment when this person was harassed while drinking coffee, when that line is crossed, and this is what I want to say to everybody because I really people don't understand that. They think there is such a thing as a small insult. There are no small insults. A small insult leads to a bigger insult. That moment in Britain that happened all over the world, I saw it in Australia and other places, when a person is harassed over nothing, it doesn't matter what the reason is. At that moment, when the line is passed, you can see down the line, the camps, the gas chambers, the violence, you can see it right there in that moment. If you don't stop it when it's small, it, it is going to grow. Sometimes it grows silently. You don't see it growing, but it's still growing. Let me tell you the real tyranny here. I have a 20-year patent trail and a 20-year peer-reviewed paper trail uh, starting from 1998 until present day of how COVID-19 is a man-made weapon of mass destruction. Starting, uh, and there's one name associated with um, the development of every stage is Dr. Ralph Barrick from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He was funded by the National Institute of Health in his research. In 1998 and 99, he perfected a, a technology called cross-species transmissibility. In other words, taking a virus of one species, manipulating it, and have it be able to infect another species. And there's peer-reviewed papers on that and patents. In 2002, he was able to take a coronavirus and change its payload to destroy human lung tissue. And there's a patent associated. But they did not manipulate a bad coronavirus to infect human beings, which they could have. 
So they did like two parts of a bomb, but they didn't complete the bomb. And you have to ask yourself why, which I have an answer. But in 2015, in Dr. Ralph Barak and Dr. Zhang Li in Wuhan, because by then, gain-of-function research, which is a cynical term, which means to take a benign virus and convert it into a weapon of mass murder, that's what gain-of-function research is, was outlawed in America. So they got outsourced to China and funded by the NIH. And so in 2015, Dr. Ralph Barrick and Dr. Zhang Li published a paper that um, explained that they were able to take a bad coronavirus and make it infectious to human beings. So the bomb was completed. So the question is, why, why now? So something happened in between. In March 2020, um, I developed my treatment protocol. What happened was I saw a video called MedCram on YouTube, MedCram episode 34, Dr. Schultz, where he presented a paper about the use of zinc ionophores and zinc or hydroxychloroquine and zinc. Uh, and it, it's theoretical possibility to stop RNA viruses from replicating. So I said, wow, that's really cool. And so I used that paper as a as a foundation to build my treatment protocol what i didn't know until two and a half months ago and that paper was from 2010. what i didn't know was that that paper was written by dr ralph barrick the reason why the bomb wasn't completed in 2002 was if it was to be released then it would be indiscriminate it would kill everyone it it may even kill them they weren't interested in dying. They have an instinct of self-preservation. Whatever their plan was, it wasn't to die for themselves. So they needed a way to defuse the bomb for those that they want. Now, what's interesting was that when doctors like myself stumbled across this technology and proved that it works, there was a choreographed, orchestrated um, media campaign and political campaign to marginalize these drugs, to vilify these drugs, to scare the uh, scare people. The real darkness is what my grandmother wants for. The real darkness is when you crawl for hours for sewage from the ghetto every day like she did every day out and in to get a, a, a piece of a half a piece of bread from a garbage can outside the ghetto that's 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 darkness to crawl in the dark in a sewage canal when the abuser enters the process of, of it, when he begins to throw more and more punches at the victim um the logic of the abuser is that he's, he cannot stop. If he stops, he will be held accountable. And if he stops, the victims will come after him. So you're absolutely right. And this is, an, absolutely, we have to highlight this message. If anybody has this idea that now they're gonna go, okay, the corona didn't work so well. Let's, let's just go back to how it was and so on. No chance. 
uh, um, they they have they have to keep throwing punches. It's possible that the punches will get bigger. It's possible that the punches will get more serious. There is no way to stop an abuser. There's no way to educate them. Divide and conquer. This is on all levels. Divide and conquer is not just between groups. This is also psychologically, one person at a time. You know, I, I'm reminded of one scene that my grandmother told me about that she saw many times because she's been on many trains because she was shipped all the time between camps. And of course, as you know, these were horrific, the trains. They would fill up in a, in a, in a booth big enough for 300, they would fill up 3,000. The people were lying on top of one another reaching to the sky for air and she'd been through many of these rides and the interesting thing is that there were always these people that jumped in every ride there were these few crazy people that jumped off the train which was of course very dangerous to do but a lot of these people survived while most of these people carried like cattle didn't no food, no water. And then they come off the train. And what did the Nazi guards tell them? Ah, now we take you to the showers. We want to help. You're dirty. We want to take you to the showers. That tells you everything. So it's like you always want to hear an explanation from the abuser why he's abusing you. You always want to hear some nice explanation. Ah, no, I'm actually abusing you because. Just like with the, all these vaccines right now, yeah. No, I want to help you with this illness, and I want to help you with this illness. And it's, it amazes me when I see it because it's exactly what my grandmother. That's how they talked. Oh, now, no, 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 no. Yeah, the trains was the problem. We understand, but now we we have we have some nice showers for you and come. And of course, we know that not all of these showers were showers. I think what's happening right now. Everybody's cooperating with this whatever this is, this corona thing. And because if you jump off the train, you might end up like almost like a homeless in the street. You, you will end up with no structure no, because the society itself is running with this train right now. I think that the biggest fear of these mainstream people who are like right now in the middle, they don't want to lose the structure and their connection to society. But I'm reminding everybody again that a big part of the people that survived the Holocaust were the ones that ran to the woods, jumped off trains. That was not nice back then. It's not nice now. It wasn't like it was cold. This was very hard to survive. But a lot of them, from the stories that I heard, a lot of them met partisans and had help and found their way out of Europe. If you told me that I'm actually gonna have to live up to my grandma's prom to the promise I made to my grandma. If you told me that I, when I was young, if you told me that I, I would one day have to, I would never believe it. This is unbelievable to me that we're actually facing this again because we are, we are of course. I was um, near Freiburg and there was a village there called Ebringen. I was just taking a hike there. I met a guy, a German guy, his name was Claudius. And 
as the talk progressed, something very funny happened. He began to defend why the Holocaust happened. And, and the words he used, everybody needs to hear this. The sentence he used that he repeated again and again was, it was necessary. This magic line, it's necessary. It's necessary. This is also in a way what's being used right now. Um, oh, there's a big virus going on. It's necessary to do this and that. And so just so everybody knows, it's been used before. It was explained to the local population in World War II that whatever is happening is absolutely necessary because things are getting too much and it's too, it's too crowded. There are all kinds of um, uh, hygiene issues and and so on. So there's nothing new about this attitude. And from it's necessary comes next, after that comes it's urgent. And from that comes it's an emergency. This is the progression, but it starts with, oh, it's necessary. These writers are very opinionated, very strong-minded people. And look how they're following because the, the propaganda in Israel was, let's come together, let's help each other. Let's take the vaccine together. We are all one family. That was the propaganda. And it worked, Vera. Yes, I know. It worked. I know. They played on that solidarity. There were children in the front line in World War II. I mean, this is exactly the thing. They, being a child in World War II didn't, didn't uh, give you any, <laughs> any privileges, not at all. Well, I'm Johanna. <laughs> My great uncle Hans Großpeter. What he experienced in the concentration camp, he doesn't believe in, in God or anything anymore because what happened with him and with the others, what he see, what he saw and what he experienced, he said, God will never let this happen, never. He was like um, a political prisoner. He was a, a quarter of Jewish. He was in Buchenwald in 1939. Then he was in the concentration camp Ravensbrück in 1942. He was altogether like six years in concentration camp Dachau. He married his wife in 1944. It was a special thing. It was just, I think, six couples who even got this loudness to, to marry in the concentration camp. And he told me he was catched by the hands on the on the back. They pulled the hands together and hang him up on a on a port on, on a big door and stuff like this. And then they hit his head and everything. He said he would have. Been died if he wouldn't have a really hard head because of, of the experience. He always tried to push away any spiritual thoughts. People tried to talk to him about spiritual things. He tried to push it away. It's not existing for him. And in the end, before he died, now I, I have a new philosophy. The thoughts are continuing. The thoughts continue. It's not the end because you always said after he died, he will die. It's the end. There's nothing behind, nothing. And this is always said really hard. <laughs> he changed just when he really stepped away, like, yeah. And that was very important for him to tell because he said, you have to, to get a, a writing machine, typing machine for um, writing what, what I know now. I have a new philosophy. You have to write it down. It's important. When I knew him, it was always, no, there's nothing. Never talk about it. And then in the end, it was like changing, where I think, wow, then he was like getting softly.
when he saw even that others who already died were waiting for him. And what, that was something was amazing to, to know it, that he really opened his heart and his mind mm -hmm. just in the end. He was not allowed to tell the things, what he was thinking, yeah, because it was so dangerous. And as a child, I thought, oh, that's strange. I never experienced this. I tell what I want. And now when I see in this time now, you really have to be careful where you say the things, what you really think. Now they try here in Germany as well um, to put people in prison. They already did now. I, you heard maybe from Michael Balvik, mm -hmm. who made a big demonstration on the 1st of August 2020, for example, and others. And uh, they put him in a prison, which is really awful. They tried to shock the others, not to fight for freedom. In 2020, uh, 200,000 or 300,000 people in Berlin for the human rights. Robert F. Kennedy said in his speech that uh, the Nazi leader uh, Hermann Göring was asked at the Nuremberg uh, trial, why are you so successful in Germany? Göring said the trick is to make the people afraid and now today some former concentration camps do not allow that workers there or scientists there go to the demonstrations for the human rights.
And we're going to go to old episode number four there. Well, before we do that, there's something that we need to talk about. All right. Okay. Hold on. We're moving that. There All we right. go. Before we do that, there's something we need to talk about. All right. Because the beginning of this episode, and you told me you were going to forget this, and I told you that I wouldn't. But you said. I think I already did. <laughs> you said, I have a real problem with this. When he was really talking about how it, it actually came up um, uh, with the the gentleman whose ancestor was uh, Jewish resistance and was killing Nazis. And that's not what he had a problem with. So I have a real problem with this. Every night we come on here and we talk about how the Jews rule the world now. And yet here we are broadcasting this amazing documentary about these horrors that were done to the Jews. And I don't have a problem with it. And here's why. Because I believe you, like so many others, are associating the Jewish people with the fake Jews that Jesus warned us about in Revelation. The fake Jews that Jesus warned us about in Revelation, the Kazarians, if you trace the history back, they're not real Jews. They're the ones that are in control. They're the ones that were in control of the Nazis as well. They're the ones that facilitated World War II. They're the ones that targeted the real Jewish people. It was necessary to get rid of them so they wouldn't be exposed. So so then the question becomes, World War II, we know there were six point. One million Jews that were exterminated from the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. Which six point one million were exterminated? The Kazarian Jews, no, or the Jew Jews, the real Jews. So honestly, there's not a whole lot left of them. Correct. And the ones that were left went to Israel, mm. for the most part. And, and now, look what's happening to them not, now? Not a lot left of them. Mm -hmm. I just have a real problem because we come on here, we do say that. We see hey, Nazis are the problem because you look at George Soros, you look at uh, Klaus Schwab, you, you look at either one of them. All Kazarians. Well, no, they're not Kazarians. They're Nazis. George Soros is Jewish or yeah. claimed to be. No, he's a fucking Nazi. He's a Kazarian. Stop. He was a Greek. No, he was Jewish. He was born in Greece. He was Jewish. I got you, but he's Look not Jewish. Exactly. I put money on it. Exactly. Because he's not a real Jew. The system saying he was born Jew. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, whatever. I, I'm just saying this, all right? This is, we come on here every night and we talk about those two who control the world. The World Economic, you know, Economic Forum, the world's whatever, the global elite, you know, they're a part of it. Mm -hmm. But then we turn around and we put this on. And it makes me think, okay, the Nazis, yeah, they did win. I don't believe the Nazis didn't win World War II. I, I believed, you know, what my, my, I don't know what the hell she would be to me. She's a friend of the family. So as far as I'm concerned, she's still an aunt because that's what we always refer to her as. But what she said, of course, is she said, Every time it will happen again. She was never scared of saying that. She lived it once. She said it will happen again. I, I still think it's happening again. Mm -hmm. It's different this time because the, the people, 
the people we believe were the persecuted are now behind this. So you can't say that this is the Holocaust because God forbid you use that, that connotation. Then holy shit, you're an anti-Semite and you're a Hitler loving Nazi because you said that they're bad people. This is going to be a much harder war to fight. Be much harder to identify who your enemy is. They're not going to be wearing a uniform. They're not going to be even wearing, for the most part, they're not even going to be carrying a gun. Mm -hmm. No. They're they're armed with a a cell phone. Yeah. Propaganda. Yeah. Right Mm now. And a, a needle. As it seems right now, yes. The protected will be taken care of and advantage of all at the same time. That's the truth of everything. Or so I was told. Either way, uh, we will be back tomorrow night. And uh, hey, if you know anybody that's looking for us, please let them know where we're at. We had to move because Twitch fucked us. Just send them to the website, patriotpartypod.com. Everything now is updated. It will bring Mm -hmm. them to a spot that we're actually playing at. So everything's there. We will be adding the kick uh, kick kick account there there too as well. So either way, for the Mick and B-Lin, you guys have a great fucking night and we will see you tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. Thanks for watching. Good night, fuckers. And uh, we'll see you later. And thanks to Vera. From the woods to the plate, ain't never went hungry, ain't never too late to come around here, son, running your mouth. You can fuck around and find out. You can fuck around and find out. You can't make it through the snakes, snares, and alligators, but once you get to the gate, you can't depend on your waiters, cause you'll be over your tater. I'm talking growing tomatoes, feeding the worms, I fish with later. I'll have a fish stick. Over a six foot grave Before I take a knee As our hand to play My hands on my heart I stand on what I say And my second amendment Handles what I can I ain't trying to be feeling badass Or talk shit I'm just saying There's the line Don't cross it I got a red rod gun When I was three So I don't run to hide from anything Bitch, I'm a red, white, and blue Color boy from the south You can fuck around and find out Love my freedom, fuck the welfare, now I don't need them Shotgun lace from the woods to the plate Ain't never went hungry, ain't never too late To come around here, son, running your mouth You can fuck around and find out Okay You can fuck around and find out If they looking for me, well, they know where to find me I'll be half drunk, strapped up in a white I can show you if it's needed when you see it you'll believe it if you don't love it you can leave it michael jackson you can f-a-f-o i teach you how this game go different joints same smoke wake up wear the same clothes real redneck i'm a piece of white trash blue collar boy but my lady's high class got the music way up loud with a cigar in my mouth fuck around and come find out how we do it in the south saying nothing but you're running that mouth i never take a hand out i'm too damn proud 
I'm a son of the dirt south with a truck seat eye and he straight pipes loud. This land, land of freedom, double barrels in case we need. Man up, we'll sit your ass down. We done talking, fuck around and find out. Love my country, love my freedom, fuck the welfare, now I don't need them. Shotgun raised from the woods to the plate. Ain't never went hungry, ain't never too late. So come around here, son, running your mouth. You can fuck around and find out. You can fuck around and find out.